All right. Rhonda, I was tempted in the spot to just have you stand up and talk to all the kids, but I thought that might just be too terrifying for just about all of us in the room, and so I didn't want to do that to you either. But, uh, but Rhonda is here today to share with us uh, from Onesimus Prison Ministries. We've been supporting Onesimus for a long time here at Waterway Church, and, and uh, February is kind of our focus month to be thinking about them, and, and uh, we financially we're supporting them, and we're praying for them. So Rhonda, I'd like to invite you to just come forward a little bit, and Rhonda's going to give us a little bit of an update. What is happening as she and others at Onesimus Prison Ministry work locally. They're working at the Chester County Prison and within that system. What is going on? We've heard stuff over the years, but it's always so exciting to hear the things that God is doing. And I think you're having a little bit more access as time goes on. Some of the COVID restrictions are finally really loosening up. We'll pray and then you'll talk. Okay. God, I thank you for Rhonda. I pray that you'll uh, release her now to share all the things that you want us to hear about and know about. And Lord, help us as a church to be faithful in our prayers, remembering those who are working so hard for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Good morning. Good morning. I first do want to thank you for your partnership and your faithful longtime supporters of Onesimus Ministries and the work that we do there at the prison. And just having us here every year to come back and do updates, it just shows and it speaks to your interest and your support for our work there. And so we're grateful for that. Um, as I would like to give the update about the prison, the main thing that's happened since the last time, I think Chaplain Heinrich was here uh, last year to talk to you, but the main thing that's happened, the biggest update, is that the chapel is now open. After three and a half years of, during the time of COVID and after, we had three and a half years of our chapel being dark and empty and silent, and back in July, our chapel, was, we were allowed to open the chapel again, and it has been such a blessing. We are so grateful to be able to welcome the men and the women back to chapel again, and we've seen um, a great number of men and women coming out. The attendance has been really good. We thought, we kind of expected at first that we would get a big number of people coming out because it was just something new and different, and it got them a chance to get, get out of their cells and get off the block. And then after a while, once the excitement wore off, that it, the attendance would drop. But we haven't seen that. We haven't seen a drop. We have had steady, large numbers of men and women coming out. And they have been very, very engaged and very interactive and just really, really wanting to know and really wanting to grow in the Lord. And it touches my heart when I see women coming and they're so sincere and they have their questions and they have their comments. And, they're just sincerely wanting to know that there is a better life. I mean, just daring to hope that things can be different, that their lives can be different. So it's very touching to see that. And they just want to believe that what I'm saying, when I'm talking to them about God, I can see it. They want to believe that it's true. They don't dare to, re to believe it right at first, but they want to believe that it's true. So I tell them right up front that the service that I do when I do the chapel service, that it's interactive. If they have any questions, if they have any comments they want to make, feel free to do it. And I just love answering their questions. And some things that I've never considered, even, you know, in the years that I've been um, walking with the Lord, but they just have these very sincere, childlike questions that coming from a sincere desire to know the Lord. And so... That sometimes they respond to each other or one woman will ask a question and some, a woman who may be further along in her knowledge of scripture, she'll want to answer the question. And so it, that kind of builds a unity between them when they can help each other and support each other. So it's just beautiful to see them and, um, when they come there to chapel. It's satisfying to see these women coming to faith in God. Just those first little steps of faith, just kind of those shaky first steps it's beautiful. It's really beautiful. I had a woman up on maximum security recently um, who wanted to recite for me a passage of scripture that she's been memorizing. And so she did. And I told her what a great job she did. And she said to me that it has helped her so much and has given her so much comfort as she's thought about the words that she was memorizing about how we can never, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And she said that just helped her so much. And it's made me smile when the brother before referenced that same passage, that nothing can separate us from the love of God. And a woman on maximum security is sitting there taking comfort from these words. 
So it's just been so exciting to see the women growing in their faith or some of them coming back to faith. They knew God or they had a, some sort of relationship with God maybe earlier, but they drifted away from that and somehow they got into trouble. They ended up in prison. And now to see them coming back to faith is also very satisfying. So when you remember, I do ask you to pray for them. There are a number of women there who are really sincerely eager to grow in their faith. So whenever you can think of it, please do pray for them. Another way that we see the women engaging, or the women and the men engaging um, with chaplaincy is through our books and literature that we have. We have a, a small table, a small bookshelf in the back of the chapel, in the back wall of the chapel, and we try to keep it stocked. But each time they come in, the first thing they do is they go to the books to see what new books are there, or at the end of service, as soon as the service is over, they rush back to the book table. And we have Christian books, Bibles, um, magazines and newspapers, and they just kind of fly off the shelf. So between the bookshelf and the request slips that we, get, re that we receive requesting material, we get a lot of interest and engagement for them um, through Christian literature. And as far as our chapel schedule, we are offering a schedule now, right now, that allows every block to receive a chapel service at least once a week. And when I say block, that's um, the housing units within the prison are separated into areas called blocks. So each block gets, we have a minimum, a minimum security blocks, we have maximum security blocks, and medium security blocks. And so each block gets to have a chapel service according to the schedule that we have now. But we're hoping to slowly work our way back to our pre-COVID schedule where we had, there were, each block had several opportunities to come down for church services and Bible studies. And so we're trying to work our way back to that now. We're still pretty much on a skeleton schedule. Um, and pre-COVID, um, we, we had classes, Bible studies, morning, evening, and afternoon. So there was lots of opportunities for them to partake with us in the, in the services. And part of the thing that's kind of limiting our schedule right now is the staffing shortages in the prison. They still have a staff shortage of officers it's improving. We've gotten a number of new officers that have started recently, but we still have, it's still an issue for them. And if we have large gatherings of inmates, which is what a chapel service requires, that means large movements of inmates as they move from the housing units to the chapel. And so that requires the sufficient staffing. They need to have enough officers there if they're moving these large numbers of inmates. So. We are, we're grateful um, for the times that we're able to provide services, but we're looking forward to the time when the prison gives us a little bit more leeway to add in more services as well. We have volunteers that are returning, volunteers that used to come into the prison before COVID. Some of them are coming back again, so we're grateful for that. And we also have a number of new volunteers. So applications are coming in, and um, it's good to see people who are eager and willing to come and minister to the men and women there at the prison. We're trying to streamline our approval process because that's been a little bit cumbersome and we're trying to make it more um, so that people can get approved more easily so that when the prison does give us the go ahead to add more services, we'll have men and women ready and waiting to come in. And I wanna share with you just briefly about a couple of women I wanna highlight. One woman, I'll call her Linda. She has been coming into the prison several times. Since I've been there, she's been in and out. Probably about every two weeks, every two years, she shows up back in prison again. And she was always, um, she would come to services sometimes. She was friendly, but not interested. She was very distant whenever she would come, but she came in back in, uh, in the summer, I guess, last year, just after we opened the chapel again. And this time, I could see there was something different about her. She came to every chapel service that she could. And just week by week, I could see her interest. I could see her desire growing. And um, I, she asked to meet with me, so I met with her. She had questions. And it was just wonderful. It was just beautiful to see her. I could I almost see her faith growing. And one day in chapel service, I, I usually start by asking them to give me one thing that they're grateful for so they could, to help them focus on gratitude. And she said that she was grateful for her growing relationship with God. And so it's just, it is a beautiful thing to watch these women as they grow closer and closer to the Lord. And another woman who I'll call Anita, 
she came in and it was her first time coming and she was very, very uh, distraught and broken about being in prison. She had made a series of things that happened in her life and it ended up with her now being in prison. And so I would see her come into the chapel service and she was just so open and so eager to hear about God. And at one service, I felt that I should offer um, the prayer if, to see if anyone who wanted to pray and ask Jesus to be their savior. And when I offered that, I could see her hand kind of start to flutter and slowly she was looking around at everyone else. No one moved, so she kind of slowly lifted up her hand and it was so courageous of her. She was the only one in all the chapel, but she was so eager. And so I asked her to repeat after me. I prayed the prayer with her and I told anyone else who wants to pray the prayer silently, they could do it. And after that prayer, the look on her face, she just had so much joy on her face. And I met with her and I talked with her about it. And she said the main thing that she was looking for, she wanted to know if God could help her to be a better mother because she felt like she had let her kids down. She was there in prison, she was away from them, and she said she wanted desperately to be the kind of mother that her children deserved. And she wanted to know if God could help her do that. So it's just seeing how these women are responding. And that's one of the things that I know, when I know that they have, they're getting it, it's when they start to talk about their children. They're understanding about God, they're starting to believe God. And then they, the next thing is that I want my children to know this. I want to tell my children. And even the woman that I spoke about just before, Linda, she talked to me also about her children. And she said she felt bad that she had never told them about God. And she actually said she hopes Jesus doesn't come back before she gets a chance to talk to her children. So it is the thing that I always say is that if we can reach the woman, we can make an impact on the next generation as well. So I thank you so much for your partnership with us. I thank you um, for standing with us, always being supportive of us. Heinrich and I get to go in there and just see what God is doing there in the prison. I remember before I started uh, going into the prison, or right at the beginning of, of me going in, I told God that I wanted to just be a signpost that point the women to him. And that I get to do that, that he allows me to do that. It is a privilege beyond what I could tell you. And so I thank you for standing with us, for supporting us, and for offering friendship and partnership. Thank you so much, and God bless you. So one of, the, um, one of the really cool things about the way that Onesimus works is that we get to support Rhonda, and she gets to lead a lot of ministry to the ladies at the Cheshire County Prison. Um, and Heinrich Boats, some of you have met Heinrich before, and you remember him sharing here. He gets to uh, relate to the men, and together they are just doing everything that can be done uh, to, to reach out to those folks who find themselves incarcerated and are either, um, are either hearing about God for the first time or hearing about God again and making new commitments, or maybe just aren't even sure yet. But thank you for sharing. Um, I, I'm, struck by, I'm struck by your story about that last woman who was wondering about whether God can help her parent her children. That's, that's a deep question, like a big, huge question. And I don't think that's only a question that people ask when they are incarcerated. I wonder how many of you have ever found yourself wondering if God or Jesus will help you do whatever it is that you're excited about. I mean, here's a person who is excited about their children and, and has some regrets, some things that they wish they had done, some things that they know that they can't do right now because they're physically separated, but, but then also hopes for maybe being able to, to, to get at this in a better way. Any of you ever feeling like you wonder if God will ever help? I mean, can you relate to that? Can you relate to being in the spot of, okay, I hear about God speaking to others. I hear about Jesus coming through for people. I hear about situations changing, but can God actually help me? Do you ever think that? Do you ever wonder if, if it's too late for you? Do you ever wonder if this good news is just for somebody else? Do you ever wonder if you've already made too much of a mess of your life? Because we can hear that question underneath, can't we? Am I already too far gone? Have I missed my chance? Uh, 
I mean, maybe you're not sitting in prison today. But are there any of you sitting here right now that feel like, I just, I've already blown it. I, I'm, I'm already disqualified. I'm already out. Are, are, are any of you sitting here terrified, just wondering what would happen if the people around you knew who you really were? I think most of us have those kind of feelings at one time or another. Now, some of us in the room are self-righteous jerks, and we don't have any of those feelings, and we need the Lord too. But it's amazing to me, and what we're going to see today is we look, we're going to look at Luke chapter 8, and, and today we're taking a really, a really high, wide view of Luke chapter 8. Some Sundays we get in and we go word by word and verse by verse, and there is so much value in that. Details matter, and that's helpful Bible study sometimes. But, but today, today we're going to be looking at a really wide, large survey of Luke chapter 8. And what we're going to see is that over and over and over, Jesus shows up and ministers to people that the others didn't expect. Jesus shows up and speaks to such a variety of people, and he works in the lives of such a variety of people. And I think this is exciting because what we're going to see today from the gospel of Luke is that Jesus attended to the needs of all kinds of people, and if he attends to their needs, he can meet ours as well. And so again, today it's a little bit of a different kind of a sermon. Um, we are going to be going through the scripture, but not verse by verse. But if you have your Bible or whatever kind of device you use, um, in, front of some of the, in front of some of you in the chairs underneath, there are brown, uh, there are hymnals, which makes it confusing, but they have the same cover as the brown Bibles. Grab one of those under the chair in front of you if you'd like to follow along. But we're in Luke chapter 8. Luke is in the uh, New Testament. It's about 80% of the way through. It's right after Matthew and Mark, and then it's Luke, and then right before the book of John. But we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8 today, and we're going to see that Jesus shared the news of who he was with everyone. All are invited, were invited, and are invited to believe and follow Jesus, but not all people are called to do the same things or be used in the same way, and this is what we're going to see in Luke 8 today. I think it's going to be a lot of fun, so let's check it out and just pay attention to the list of characters that we're going to encounter as we go through Luke chapter 8 today. So here we are in the very beginning in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. It says, soon afterward, and, and if you want to remember what the context was, go back this afternoon, read Luke 5 and 6 and 7, see what Jesus was doing, see what the stories were. But it says, soon afterward, he went on through cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 2, it says that the 12, I'm sorry, the last part of verse 1, it says that the 12 were with him. Now the 12, this is a group of young Jewish fellows. Sometimes they're called the apostles. Sometimes they're called the disciples. And that's one of those fine things that you guys get to figure out as quizzers, right, Brandon, as you figure who are disciples, who are apostles. But these 12, these are the 12 apostles. There's a huge crowd of disciples at this time. Disciples are students who follow a rabbi in Jewish culture, or they follow a Jewish teacher. That's what a disciple is. Jesus has lots of disciples. Hundreds of them are following him. But he calls out 12 of them in particular and names them apostles. And so these are the 12 who were with him in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. These 12 were going to be commissioned. They were learning from him for three years. They were following him around. And then after Jesus went back up into heaven, it was their job to tell the world about who he was. So in Luke chapter 8, verse 1, we see that the 12 are with him. And as we continue on in the scripture, we see that also some women who had been healed of evil spirits and infirmities. There was Mary called Magdalene, from whom seven demons had gone out. And Joanna, the wife of Cusa, Herod's household manager. And Susanna and many others who provided for them out of their means. So if we pause here, we see just in these first couple of verses... There's this group that's traveling around together. It's not just Jesus and the 12 guys, although we might picture Jesus and his 12 disciples marching around telling people about the hope of the Lord. No, it's Jesus, and there are the 12, and then there's a group of ladies. Mary Magdalene is one. It says that seven demons went out from her. Jesus healed her, okay? Jesus healed her. But it's amazing. Many of us in 2024 don't pick this up. But the fact that any women are mentioned at all is absolutely radical because Jewish rabbis in the time of Jesus did not allow women to follow them. They didn't have anything to do with women disciples. No, the women stayed home, get out of the way. We're talking to the men and to the boys. That was the attitude then. What is Luke 
saying as he's telling us all about the ministry of Jesus? He's saying that Jesus does. He has these 12 apostles who were really important and they're specially commissioned. But also in addition, there are these ladies. There's Mary Magdalene. She had been healed from her demonic possession. There is a woman named Joanna. Now, Joanna is married to Herod's household manager, a guy named Chusa. So, so get the picture here. Herod, who eventually is going to be one of the people who's most instrumental in, in having Jesus killed. His household manager's wife is following Jesus around. And we're told that these people who were in this crowd were using their money to help support Jesus' ministry. I'll tell you that Joanna was probably one of the more wealthy people, her husband being the household manager for Herod, who's kind of a governor kind of a fellow. Joanna would have had some money, and the money that Herod was paying her husband to run his household, given to Joanna the wife, is now being used to support the ministry of Jesus. Beautiful stuff. And so we've got Mary Magdalene and Joanna. By the way, you'll hear more about Joanna as we read later on in the scripture. She's one of the ladies that goes to the tomb to find out if Jesus is still there. Joanna is one of the women supporting the work of Jesus, but then she is one of the witnesses to the resurrection. This is Mary Magdalene. This is Joanna. And then there's a woman named Susanna. She's not mentioned anywhere else in scripture, but we hear that there are many others, both men and women, who provided out of their means for Jesus' ministry. So when you all give your offerings to the Lord, when you put your dollars and cents in that box in the back of our church today, you are just kind of following along the tradition that's been going on for thousands of years of people who, as they had means, they supported the ministry so that the people who were teaching could go out and teach. We're told in Scripture that Jesus didn't have a house of his own. He kind of moved from place to place. Jesus was not a wealthy man. He wasn't a man of means, but he had everything he needed because God provided through this crowd of men and women who followed him around. And then we see in Luke chapter 8, as we continue on in verse 4, that a great crowd came to Jesus and he told them a parable. This is not on the screen, but I would encourage you, if you really want to dig in and dive in a little further, read this today at lunchtime after you read Luke 5 and 6 and 7 for the context. It's always good to read a little bit more Bible. <laughs> but in, in Luke chapter 8, verse 4, it says that a great crowd came to Jesus and he told them a parable. A parable is a story that expresses truth, okay? It's, it's not just exactly what happened, but he says it's like this, and, and that's what a parable is. And as he said these things, he, he talked about a fellow who was sowing seed, and the seed landed on four different kinds of soil. And on some of the soil it grew, and some it didn't. But Jesus told this story, and as he said these things, after telling the story, he cried out to this whole crowd, and all of his followers, and the disciples, and the ladies, and the apostles, and all the people around. He said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And as we take our very high view of this scripture passage today, again, we're not going through word by word. We're doing like the Google Earth or the, the Chesco Views. And any of you check out the Chesco Views website? Some of you know that one. Yeah, yeah. Chesco Views is fun. It, it's put on, um, it's one of those websites, free online public service from our county that shows you every property that has a deed to it. And you can look at the map and you can zoom in and see which one of your friends just built a swimming pool. Or, or, or see, okay, where exactly is that property line? So we're taking that, we're taking that view for miles up. We're not just down in the weeds standing there looking for the metal pin in the ground, Okay. One of the things that's important as we look at all of Luke chapter 8 is that Jesus is calling out to all the crowd. He says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And it says in Luke chapter 8, verse 9, right after Jesus told this parable about a sower sowing seed and, and, and the weeds and the thorns and the rocky and the everything else, the disciples ask him in verse 9 of Luke chapter 8, they said, what does this parable mean? Because even his disciples, his students, those who were closest to him, they were confused sometimes, which we can take comfort in those of us who study the Bible now, all of us here together. If you don't get it sometimes, do what the disciples did. Just ask him, God, what does this mean? You'll be amazed at how God will open your mind to his truth if you're reading his Bible and really trying to dig in. So just as it is today, it was then. His disciples asked him what this parable meant, and he said to you, this is Luke chapter 8, look at verse 10. He said, to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, 
But for others, they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. What is Jesus saying here? He is saying, he is saying that parables require a person to dig into them. Parables require a person to be curious and to follow up and try to sort it out instead of just saying they're saying, feed me. No, this is, this is people doing work. And his disciples, they dug in. They asked what this parable meant. And he said, okay, because you're curious, because your faith is real, and because you care, I will tell you what this means. But he says, I'm talking in parables because there are some people in this crowd who don't care. Parables can be a sorting mechanism to help figure out who really cares and who's just there for the spectacle. This is what Jesus is sharing with his people. So he explained the parable. And in Luke chapter 8, verse 11, he said, look, there are different kinds of people responding differently to the word of God, yielding different kinds of fruit. And so Jesus says, here's the message of the parable. Jesus says, I am the sower, sowing or planting or casting out the seed. They didn't have grain drills. They didn't have corn planters. They had a guy who walked out in the field with a bag of seed and he broadcast it. He cast it out. He sowed the seed. Jesus says, that's what I'm doing. I am casting out the word of God. I'm sharing it with all who will listen. He said, there's four kinds of people symbolized by the soil, but there's four kinds of people, he says, who hear my message. He says, some people hear my message and the devil takes it out of their heart right away and they never believe. Some people believe for a little while, but then they bail when life gets hard. Do you know people like this? I mean, we could see all the categories, right? Have you ever had anybody in your life and you were finally excited, you were going to have an opportunity to talk and you shared with them about Jesus and they just said, no thanks. Have you had that happen? <laughs> Jesus says, me too. He casts out the seed, and some people have no response. He says, but some people, they believe for a while, but then they bail when life gets hard. Do you know people like that? Have you been a person like that in your past? Have you ever had an event or, or, or a time, or, or maybe, you, maybe it's one of those moments right now where, where you're hearing and you feel like God is so close to you, and you feel like things are so hopeful, and now there's something really stirring and happening. Have you ever seen that happen in other people, and they are excited, and they leave church, or they leave that tent meeting, or they leave that evangelistic outreach, and they are so excited for the Lord, but then trouble comes back. Then they get back to their family, or they get back to their job. Or maybe the chapel service is over and they go back to their block. And it's as if it never happened because the trouble chokes out their faith. We know people like this. Some of us have been people like this. Jesus says that's how, that's how some people are. He says, but even though some have no faith and some just have faith for a while, he says, there are others who have faith for a while, but the things of life distract them and they never really grow deep in their faith. He says, the worries or the cares or the riches or the concerns, of their, it's not all just bad things, but sometimes there is just stuff that distracts people from their faith and so they don't grow deeper. And this is probably the biggest danger for most of us. I'm going to say it again. This is probably the biggest danger for most of us, because most of us have too many things going on. They're not even all bad things. Some of them are really good things. But I know there are a lot of us, and I can fall into this trap too. I mean, think about your past week. What has happened since the Super Bowl was played on Sunday night? You realize that was only a week ago. What are the things that have gone on in your life this week? Did you have anything going on? What, maybe you had a party and had some people at your house to watch a ball game on Sunday. Did any of you have to go out and buy a Fosnot or a donut or something on Fat Tuesday because you had to, that, that, that thing happened, remember that? And then on Wednesday, we're not a big Ash Wednesday kind of a congregation. That's just not typically part of our observation, but that was on Wednesday, so there's stuff going on. Did any of you have like birthday parties this week? Anybody have a funeral to go to? Any of you have a busy weekend? Maybe a busy Friday night or a busy Saturday? Did any of you get here to Sunday and say, where did the week go? Does that happen to you the way it happens to me? This is what Jesus is talking about. He says, some people, they hear the word of God and they believe and they really believe. But all the things of life, the good stuff and the bad stuff, it distracts them. And they never really grow in their faith. They just kind of year after year, just stay the same, putting in time. Just kind of putting a groove in the pew but not really growing in their heart. 
But Jesus says, that's not everybody. It's not just that some don't believe, and it's not just that some lose their faith when life gets hard, and it's not just that some kind of stay spiritual babies because of all the distractions. He said, Jesus says, some really do treasure the word of God. Some people are good soil, and they hold it fast in their good heart. Interesting that Jesus says that they hold it in their good heart. What does that mean? Well, you don't have a good heart unless you're saved by Jesus Christ. We know in the Old Testament, before Jesus came, we're told that the heart is wicked above all things. But then Jesus saves us. We give our lives to him. And Jesus gives us a new heart, a heart of flesh. And these people, Jesus says, those of you who are good soil, those of you who receive the word, you treasure it in your good, saved heart. He says, then in time, with patience, with perseverance, these people bear fruit. Jesus says, that's what my story is about. You think I'm talking about casting seed? Jesus says, I'm talking about the gospel. I'm telling people about me. Some don't believe. Some believe for a while. Some stay immature, but some grow. And then Luke, or Luke goes on with his account of what Jesus says. And in Luke 8, 16, Jesus is recorded as telling his disciples right after this whole explanation. He says, look, guys, nobody after lighting a lamp. Again, this is Luke chapter 8, verse 16. No one after lighting a lamp covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed. But they put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. He says, this is what mature Christians are like. Not keeping their faith as some kind of second place thing or some kind of hidden away thing. He says, those who really love the Lord, they got their faith out there, shining like a light so that all who enter the house may see. And then Jesus says in Luke, some, Luke chapter 8, verse 17, this isn't creepy, but this should be a warning. Jesus says, nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to the light. Jesus said 2,000 years ago, there are no more secrets. And Americans, let me remind you today that there are no secrets here either. All of you are carrying in your pocket a microphone. And even if you don't get into all the conspiracy theories, just look online. I'll tell you that there is no privacy. With Google Earth and Chesco abusing the neighbor kid with his drone, there are no secrets. Christians, that should be okay though. Do you know why? Because that's just more opportunities for you to let your light shine. Who wants to have a secret? Those people that want to stay in the dark. And, you know, here's one of the things. I know there's all kinds of concerns about identity theft and money and stealing and all that kind of stuff. I know. I know. I don't, I don't want to make light of any of that stuff. But, but Christians, let's be honest. Let's be honest. What do we need so much of this privacy for? Why is it that so many people are concerned about their privacy? I wonder what it is that people are trying to keep hidden. Jesus says, let this stuff all come out into light. Let your light shine. Let your life be one. Yes, there are things that should be in private. Husbands and wives, there are things that you should do only in private. Right? There are family things that sometimes are better kept quiet and private within the bounds of the people who understand. We don't gossip. We don't just proclaim everything from the rooftops. But our lives... If we are really people who have the gospel growing in us, Jesus says our lives are not the kind of thing that we have faith that we hide under a bed. No, let this be light that all people can see. Let your light shine, even if you don't think anybody is looking. And this is all connected to this soil stuff because the way that we believe is going to affect the way that we live. And the way that we live indicates what we really believe. This is what Luke chapter 8 is reminding us of. And Jesus starts with this parable about good soil and how it receives the word of God and how that good heart treasures it and then shines the truth of God's word like a light. What's interesting is just a few verses later, as Jesus is doing this teaching in Luke chapter 8, verse 19, Jesus' mother and brothers show up. And so that's Mary, the mother of Jesus, and then some brothers. We know he had a number of them, half-brothers, right? They were the sons of Mary and Joseph. But Jesus' mother and brothers show up. And people say, Jesus, your mom and your brothers, they want to talk to you. And very interestingly, Jesus says that his real mother and brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. They're the ones who hear the word of God and do it. Now, some people have looked at this and said, oh, Jesus didn't care about his family. And of course, the Jewish culture of that day would have really valued the family. 
What Jesus is saying here, it's not that he doesn't value his family because, in fact, while he's on the cross dying just a few years after this, Jesus takes care of his mother, says, go live with John. He's going to take care of you. Jesus cares a lot about his mom and about his family. But what he's saying here in the whole context of this, you who have ears hear, Jesus says that his real mother and brothers, his real family, the people who are really close with him, these are the ones who hear the word of God and they do it. In your Bible, as you're looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 19, underline, hear the word of God and do it. Because see, the gospel has hands to it. It's not just a head thing and it's not just a heart thing. See, knowing the Lord is not just about some kind of knowledge. Although knowledge is helpful, we can be transformed by the renewing of our minds. And knowing the Lord is not just a heart thing that says, well, my identity is with God. That's who I am. Those are both true, but the gospel also has hands with it. The gospel also goes and tells. It shines light and it helps. Jesus says, my real mother and brothers are the ones who hear the word of God and do it. And then as we continue to to walk through this survey of Luke 18, we see that Jesus and his disciples, they end up in the country of the Gerasenes. This is a place that is on the other side of the lake. It's kind of a different neighborhood. And there's a fellow that shows up who had many demons inside of him. And of course, Jesus can deal with that, right? Because Mary Magdalene's been traveling with him. She had seven demons. Seven's a lot. Some people say that she had more than just seven, but that the Jewish number seven, which means completion, right? That she had a whole bunch. She was filled up with demons. That's what, that's what some people are suggesting when they see the number seven with Mary. She was cleansed of all that. Now she's following Jesus. She is absolutely devoted. Jesus can deal with this demonic stuff. That's not too big for him. Are you kidding? Demons are just fallen angels, which the Lord created in the first place. So Jesus and his buddies, they show up and a fellow comes up to them. It says that he lived among the tombs. If he were alive today, we would say that he has mental health issues. It's interesting. This guy had even been institutionalized. It says that he had been under guard and bound at times. But the demons, the demons stirred him up and, in fact, gave him such strength that he would break away and he would go back out and live in the desert. And so here's a fellow who lives in this country of the Gerasenes. And he lives in a land. We know that this, this land of the Gerasenes is not a Jewish area because they are tending pigs Pigs were filthy, well, still are filthy animals, but oh, they are delicious. But the Jews didn't know that because they were prohibited from eating pork. That was one of God's rules for the people of the time, those Jewish folks. Now, we've been set free from that ceremonial law. But in that time, Jews didn't eat pigs. They were filthy. Here we know that there is a herd of pigs because these demons who were inside of this man, they recognized Jesus. They said, Jesus, don't cast us out. Don't send us back to hell. We'd rather be here. And he says, well, you can't stay in this fellow. And so the demons, great story. Read it over lunch while you're eating your ham sandwich. (laughs) Jesus cast out all of these demons, this legion of demons, cast them out into the pigs that were grazing, the filthy animals, the, the animals that the Jews would have never had anything to do with, the animals that the religious folk would have absolutely rejected. Jesus went from a man in that town, cast the demons out. They went into the pigs. They drowned the pigs. And then everybody in town heard about this. And as we go through this story very, very quickly, we can see that this man who had been released, this man who was now free, this man who, like Mary Magdalene, now was finally out from under the darkness, he begged to go with Jesus. He said, Jesus, let me come with you. And there have been times when Jesus said, okay. Mary Magdalene, again, was invited to come along with him. She's traveling all over the place everywhere. The disciples and some of these other ladies, they're going, this guy says, Jesus, you heal me, you save me. I don't want to be here anymore. Jesus says, no, you're not coming with me. Go back to your town and tell all the people about me. This guy is begging, Jesus, let me come along. But the people of the area are saying, Jesus, get out of here. It was too much for him. And so Jesus left. But the man who had been filled with a legion of demons stayed. And we're told that he stayed with his people and he told them about Jesus. And now here is a man who is witnessing for the Lord. And Jesus just keeps sowing the word of God to see if maybe there is some soil in the country of the Gerasenes that will receive the message of salvation. 
So there's a man who's set free. There's the people in the surrounding country of the Gerasenes who asked Jesus to leave because they were afraid of him. (laughs) They heard about the man who was set free. They heard about the pigs, but they chose not to trust the healer. They said, Jesus, get lost. So he left. And so as Jesus left, he went back to his area. And and we hear about a guy named Jairus. Jairus now. And and again, lots of characters in Luke chapter 8, aren't there? Aren't there? We see about these disciples. We hear about the apostles. We hear about the ladies. We hear about the man who lived in the country of the Gerasenes and the people from the country of the Gerasenes. Now we run into Jairus. Jairus is a ruler of the synagogue. He's a Jewish man. He's a religious man. He closely observed the law that God had given. And Jairus has one daughter, about 12 years old. Same as me. He has one daughter, about 12 years old, and she is sick. And so Jairus comes to Jesus And bows down and says, please, if you are willing, you can heal my daughter. And so Jesus decides to go and see Jairus' daughter. But on the way, there's such a crowd, people crowding around him, because Jesus is not in the country of the Gerasenes anymore. He's back in in the area where he's been preaching and teaching, and the crowds are following. And so as Jesus is walking, there's another woman. She doesn't have a name that we know of. But it says that she had been bleeding for 12 years and spent all her money on physicians. None of them helped her. This woman who was dealing with this issue of blood. Men, most of you have, most of us, have no idea. Ladies, can you imagine? She'd been bleeding for 12 years, spent all her money. Of course she did on physicians, and they couldn't help her. But she she reached out and just touched the bottom of Jesus' clothing, and she was healed like that. Jesus hadn't even looked at her wasn't paying attention to her, but Luke wrote this down. And do you remember in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke, what did Luke say? Luke, do any of you remember what Luke's trade was before he he wrote this Gospel? Haley, did you buzz in? He was a doctor. Luke was a doctor. The guy who's writing this down was a doctor. Ten points. Team bonus. Luke was a doctor, and he's writing down. He says he's making a careful account. That's what this whole Gospel is about. He's making a careful account of all the things that people said about Jesus. Luke, the doctor, says there's a woman who had been bleeding for 12 years, and she reached out and touched him, and she was healed. Now, don't you think Luke, the doctor, would have been able to get to the bottom of it if this was just hocus pocus? Don't you think Luke, the doctor, would have said, hang on a second. I know how body, wait, she saw all the doctors. Maybe she even went to Luke. Don't you think Luke could have just kind of kept this story to the side if, if it was just a little bit too embarrassing for the doctor to write this fairy tale of a hope? No, why is it written here? It's written because it's true. And so this woman, as Jesus is on the way to Jairus' house, this woman came and she touched Jesus' garment. And Jesus says, whoa, what happened? He could feel that he said he felt some power go out of him. And his disciples said, Jesus, there's such a crowd here. There's people everywhere. This is like, this is like Sunday afternoon at the farm show. What's, what's going on? And, and Jesus says, no, something, somebody touched me. Somebody got some power. Somebody was healed. And she came forward and she bowed. She said, it was me. And Jesus responds to her. He didn't growl at her. He didn't say, what are you doing? He says, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Why is this written down? Because all of Luke chapter 8 is reminding us that when people come to Jesus, Jesus acts. And when Jesus invites, it's not just for you or just for you or just for you. It's for everybody. Jesus is talking to all kinds of people, even the crazy, possessed guy living out in the tombs beside the pig farmers. Jesus goes and talks to him. Even the 12-year-old girl whose, whose dad is like really religious, Jesus is getting ready to go and talk to her. Even for the woman that he didn't even see, there is power that goes out. And I guarantee you, there is nothing that went out of Jesus on accident. And Jesus says, your faith daughter has made you well. Go in peace. Well, now Jesus, after calling her out, after this very public thing, Jesus goes into the house where Jairus lived. Follow with me here. We're we're just walking real quick through Luke chapter 8. Jesus finally got to Jairus's house. Jairus, again, religious leader. This is a guy who would have been respected in the community. This is a guy who has one daughter. She's 12 years old. And he says, my daughter is sick. She's dying. Please help By the time they got to the house, she was dead. And people 2,000 years ago knew what it was like for people to die. There's no mistakes. There's no accidents. 
But Jesus says, let's go into the house, just a few of us. And so Jesus and then three of his disciples, Peter, James, and John, three of the 12, they're, they're the very closest disciples, Jesus and those three. And then it says the girl's father and mother. So that is Jairus and Mrs. Jairus. Six of them went in. And Jesus says, well, she's just sleeping. And again, remember, this is written by Luke, the physician, not just some rube who wants to make up stories. And she, <laughs> she is laying there. And here is Jesus and three fishermen and the parents. And Jesus says she's just sleeping. What does it say in Luke chapter 8? How did they respond? They laughed at him. They laughed at him. <laughs> I heard a story before. I was sitting with a group of pastors. And I'll tell you, nobody has better stories than a whole group of pastors sitting around together. And they were talking about a beloved pastor they all knew. He was older than them and he was retired. And they were just telling good stories about this pastor that they all loved, a guy they knew when they were all very young. And they told a story about how, how this, this pastor was called to the hospital for a hospital visit. Someone was very sick. And this pastor went to the hospital and, and in his hurry and, and in his intention of getting to the room and showing up, the person he was going to see had died right before he had arrived. But he wasn't aware that the person had died yet. And, and I don't know what your experience is with hospitals, but sometimes, especially for an older person who's been in the process of dying for a while, it can be hard to just look into a room and see what's going on. But that pastor who had been called to come and pray for the person who was dying, that, that pastor walked into the room and, and just went right to the bedside and the family was there and started praying earnestly for this person to be healed. And the family said, Pastor, they've already, they've already died. And he said, well, the, the prayers are still good prayers. And, and, and these pastors that I was sitting with, they knew this fellow and they knew this story because, in fact, this pastor had told them this story. He said, yeah, I walked right in and started praying. I didn't realize the person had already died. He said, so my prayers changed from please heal this man to please give comfort to his family and receive him into heaven. It's funny the kind of things you hear about. And this would have happened in the 1980s, right, with beep, beep, beep. Here are these people, they're saying, Jesus, she's, she's already dead. And I can't imagine the emotions that there would be with a dead 12-year-old daughter, your only child unthinkable. But we're told in Luke chapter 8, we're told by the doctor that Jesus, with a word, raised the girl. She came back to life. And I can't imagine that joy either. And what did Jesus do? Jesus raised the girl and he told his parents, don't tell anybody. Keep this quiet. You see that there in Luke chapter 8? Keep this quiet. I, I'll tell you what, church. This Jesus, our Savior, whom we worship, is incredible. Unpredictable, except for that you can always count on him to do what is right. Here, here's this woman who touches him. He, he never even saw her. And he says, who was it? Right in the middle of the crowd. Stops and kind of makes a big deal out of it. Makes a scene out of it. And just a few moments later then raises this little girl from the dead and says, don't tell anybody. Do you see the variety here in Luke chapter 8? And I just wonder, as Luke is trying to make an orderly account of all the stuff that Jesus did, I wonder if Luke just chuckled as he wrote it down. He said, wait till people read this stuff. I mean, look at our story so far. We've just covered it here this morning. I know we're out of time. Hang, hang with me. Worship team, get ready. Look at the variety in Luke chapter 8. There's a woman who trusted enough to be healed just by touching his garment. And a whole crowd saw that healing, and they turned away out of fear, right? The garrison said, we don't want any of it. But the woman said, I want so much that she was healed. There's a very observant Jewish ruler, Jairus, whose daughter is raised from the dead. And a man from the region of the Gerasenes, where they're farming pork, a very religious fellow, a very differently kind of religious group. And Jesus hears both of their cries for healing. In Luke chapter 8, verse 40, we're told about a crowd that welcomed Jesus. But in Luke 8, 37, there's a crowd that is terrified and tells them to leave. Not only does Jesus engage with all kinds of people, the religious and the irreligious, the men and the women, the old and the young, 
Not only does Jesus bring his message to them, but he responds in different ways. The guy healed from demons who was told to stay home and evangelize. And then Mary Magdalene healed from demons who follows Jesus and supports him with her own money for years. The woman with the issue of bleeding touches his garment, he's healed, and Jesus stops and makes a big deal out of it. But then he raises Jairus' 12-year-old daughter, says, keep it quiet. Jesus reaches out and engages all kinds of people. And this eighth chapter of Luke is a reminder for us that the word of God is for all of us. Jesus just throwing it out there. But we have to decide whether we're going to respond in faith or not. I mean, we have to decide whether we're going to be the people that, that cower in fear and say, oh, Jesus, go away, it's too much, or whether we're the people that say, if I get a touch, I'll be fine. Where is your faith taking you today? What kind of soil are you cultivating within your own heart today? We have to decide whether we're going to respond in faith or not. Whether we're going to continue in faith or not. We have to decide whether we'll persevere and produce fruit, even if we're distracted, even if life is hard. We have to decide, are we going to press on or not? We have to decide whether we're going to dig in and listen for Jesus' direction and do what he tells us to do or not. See, the good news is that Jesus came and engaged everyone. He's engaging you right now. Look at your neighbor real quick. Just tell them that Jesus loves them. Do it. No, tell them like it matters. Yeah, Jesus loves you. Now look at your neighbor and tell them that that Jesus wants to save them. It's not just that Jesus loves us. He wants to save us. This is the message, and he brings it to everybody. If you're here, you're hearing this. You're not disqualified. You're not excluded. It's not too late for you. You're hearing this. Jesus is calling you. So what are you going to do? What are you going to do with this? If you're here now, I want to tell you that you can dig deeper as we all dig deeper together. Everybody with a Bible can access the Word of God. If you have a phone, you can download the Bible app for free, and you can learn more about Jesus. If you want a paper Bible, you don't have one, talk to Pastor Steve today before you leave. He will get one in your hands before you reach the parking lot. If you're here, you can learn more. If you're here, you can persevere because you're not alone. You've got friends around you, men and women here, who are also struggling, who also have challenges but are also pressing through. You can do this. We can do this, church, but we've got to decide to respond. Over and over and over, Jesus reaches out, but people have to decide whether we're going to buy it. Some don't believe it at all. Some believe it while life is easy. Some believe it until they're distracted. But some, oh, and there are so many of you in this room, Some allow the message of Jesus to change their lives forever. Worship team, would you please come forward? As the worship team is coming forward, I want to remind you of four verses in Luke chapter 8 that can guide your faith today. In Luke chapter 8, verse 8, Jesus called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In Luke chapter 8, verse 17, Jesus told his disciples that nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. In Luke 8, verse 18, Jesus says, take care then how you hear. In other words, pay attention to what you're listening to. And in Luke 8, 21, Jesus says, my mother and my brothers, in other words, my family, are those who hear the word of God and do it. Jesus says, if you have ears to hear, listen, nothing's going to keep secret. But take care how you hear. And those who hear the word of God and do it, you are my family. This is the invitation of Jesus Christ. As we sing this last song, I want you to be thinking about whether you need to respond to Jesus in any kind of a way today. Let this, let this word marinate in your heart. But would you stand and sing along with us as we get into our, our final song today? We're going to sing, He Reigns.